Justin had to clear eight kilometers worth of something like that, snow to get here this morning. told him no the scriptures say people do not live alone with bread but by every word that comes from the mouth of god the devil took him to the holy city jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and he said if you're the son of god jump off and the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone and jesus responded the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I'll give it all to you if you just kneel down and worship me. Jesus said, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. I struggled with this passage because, as Angie might have felt this week, some kind of mm. um, struggles with who's in charge here. Mm. So that's why it's, I get a little emotional reading this, because it's not even in my own life. It's the bigger picture of what's going on in the world and mm. some darkness. So I pray that we uh, cast that doubt, mm. put our trust back in the Lord. Mm. And we bless Tom mm. with your message this morning. Mm. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Have you noticed that everyone thinks they're an expert these days? Maybe I'm just getting old, uh, but it seems like everyone and their grandma has a podcast or a YouTube about things they themselves have just learned about or are pretending to know about. I remember Jess telling me she tried listening to this parenting podcast, but quickly had to stop as she discovered the parenting expert host had recently just had her very first child. And not only that, she had a nanny. Bless that lady's heart, there's nothing wrong with nannies, but try as she might, I don't think she could really speak authoritatively about the intricacies of raising four kids two of whom are teenagers. So, so often experts seem to be living in some alternate universe. What about the rest of us who don't have a nanny, you might say? 
So when it comes to this idea, or this reality of temptation, we have to be careful that we don't see Jesus like this woman with a nanny. Don't write him off. Well, of course he didn't give into it. He's God. Easy for him. He is perfect after all. But the writer of Hebrews makes this staggeringly hopeful claim. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, which is us people. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And listen up to this. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. The high, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus gets it. He understands what temptation feels like in the human mind and in the human body and with the human will. Yes, Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. And what Jesus shows us so clearly is what the Father is really like. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. But when we see Jesus, we see the Father, yes. And equally, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be truly human, to truly image God. And this is remarkable. So this morning, my hope is that we continue to allow Matthew's gospel to bring us face to face with the one, the one who defeated the tester, the one who succeeded where Adam and Israel failed. So this morning, we look to you, Jesus. So today's message, it's, it's late. It's hopefully going to be super brief and, and right to the point. We all face temptations day in and day out. How can we as disciples of Jesus learn how to walk in the victory us as he defeated the enemy and passed the test on our behalf. So as we turn to the scriptures, we remember that the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So let's just pray and then we'll dive in together, okay? Father, we come before you now to read and be read by your word. We invite and welcome your presence to fill this place. Come Holy Spirit. Come and help us notice. Come and help us wonder. And come and help us celebrate the good news that Jesus Christ was born, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. That he is Emmanuel, God with us, even in our temptation. So may we know you as you really are, and may we know ourselves as we really are. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, let's, let's land in Matthew chapter 4. And we're just going to kind of briefly go through the scripture. And I will try to keep it short and sweet, my friends. So in the narrative last week, we read of the baptism of Jesus and the declaration of Jesus's identity and nature. Remember, he is the divine son and the suffering servant, the one in whom the father delights. The spirit has anointed him. And then what happens? We read in verse one of chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? What is happening here? For 40 days and for 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. I don't know about you. I think every time I'm in the wilderness, there's no way God could have led me here. 
But Jesus is telling this story for a purpose because we have to realize that in most of the other accounts in Matthew's gospel, there's other eyewitnesses that would have been a part of what was happening and could recount the story. But here, this is a story unlike the others because Jesus is telling it because he was the only one there. It was him and the devil. And so he's retelling the story to his disciples because this must actually mean something for us. This must be important for us as his disciples. Jesus is sharing his story of wrestling with his identity. So as Jesus embraced his story as the anointed one, the spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. What does you guys' translation have in verse 1? Does it have tempted or tested? Tempted? Anyone have tested? No? I'll take that as a no. So the, the Greek word here is parazo, which means to test, to put to the test or to tempt. It would seem that the best translation here would be tested. Testing is all about proving the truth about something, usually through a difficult situation. Anyone else remember chemi chemistry tests? It's proving the truth about what you actually know about chemistry. So essentially, the Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness, a difficult situation, to prove the truth about who he is. But who is going to be doing the test? We read here it is the devil or the tester, you could say. The tester is a creature in rebellion. The creature hates life. It hates what is good. It hates humans made in God's image. It hates who we are and wants us to doubt the creator's goodness toward us. And he wants to lead us back on a path towards death. He is the one who is trying to drag all of creation back into nothingness. This is the one whose work Jesus has come to destroy. So if you're here this morning and you're like, there's so much terribleness going on in the world. Jesus has come to destroy that very work. Do some of the elements of this story sound familiar? Okay, desert, 40, year, 40 days. What's going on here? Can you think of an Old Testament figure who is also a son of God, who came up out of Egypt, who went through the waters and into the wilderness to be tested in the wilderness for 40 years? Moses, well done. And the hearers, just like you guys, brilliant people, would have immediately connected these dots. Okay, there, this is a nod to Jesus fulfilling Israel's story. Remember, we were talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story. Jesus is restarting the story of Israel, and he does so as their king. He is going to succeed where they have failed. Moses in, <clears throat> in the desert writes this in Deuteronomy. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you what, that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. Jesus is retelling the story of Israel. But Jesus, the Messiah from the line of Abraham, has come to restore blessing to all creation, not just the people of Israel. So this story is framed within God's bigger story to save the entire world. Where else have we heard about the tester who tries to plant doubt into the minds of God's people to lead them astray? Adam and Eve, the garden. So Jesus is not only retelling and living and restarting the story of Israel, he is doing the same for all humanity. Jesus is going to succeed as the human. 
Okay, so let's look briefly at the three tests aimed at the Son of God. Test one, you could call it the test of appetite. Let's read verses three, let's start in verse three. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did we just read that? Did we hear that in, in Moses' little diatribe there? Remember, Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. Anyone ever gone on a 40-day fast? I bet that's an underestimation that he's actually really hungry. He's probably, like, famished. I don't know about your circumstances, but at least my, my children can't even go longer than 40 minutes without asking for something to eat. Literally. So in this state of hunger, the devil comes to test Jesus' trust in his father. His tactic is, is clear. It's to undermine Jesus' identity by pointing at Jesus' circumstances. If you're the son of God, what, what are you waiting for? Do something about it. You're hungry, so do something. You're hungry and you're the son of God, so do something about it. So by appealing to Jesus' appetite, his wants, his needs, his desires, Satan is trying to lure Jesus into the trap of instant gratification. Jesus' response to the lure of the tester is to quote a scripture from the story we read earlier in Deuteronomy. The Father's love hasn't left Jesus because of his current circumstances. How often do we think that? These circumstances must prove something alternate than Jesus' love for me. Man does not live by bread alone means there's more to real life or real living than just material things. There is a difference between just surviving and really living. Yes, we need food, we need shelter, we need all those things to survive. But what if there's something more and deeper to our existence than just those things? In his baptism, Jesus had a word from the Father that spoke to who he is, what he was here for, that told him the truth about himself. So we are human beings, and we need more than, more than just to survive. We need purpose. We need to know that our lives fit into something bigger, something that has meaning. And Jesus was here to destroy the works of the enemy, to reunite heaven and earth, to establish the kingdom of God, to, for, to forgive the sins of the whole world. And his current hunger in the wilderness did not in, undermine any of that. These circumstances did not define who he is to God. In short, the temptation is perform a miracle to meet your own needs. Jesus, though, is fully dependent on the Father. He trusts him. He will provide for him. He doesn't need to provide for himself. Living is initiated and sustained by God and can't be measured by physical senses alone. Jesus, Jesus expressed his loyalty to the Spirit over his loyalty to the flesh. So there's an appetite in all of us. We, we long for something more than just material things. We long for meaning. We long for purpose, and we only discover that in God. Jesus passed the test one. Test two, the test of applause. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Touche. The tester continues on. If he won't perform a miracle to meet his own needs, maybe he'll perform a miracle to meet others' expectations or gain their approval and applause. Changing some tactic a bit here to be accepted, to be wanted, to be approved of, to be celebrated. These are deep hungers within each of our souls. Anyone ever feel those hunger pains within themselves? 
Do I matter? Does anyone see me? What is my purpose here? Jesus, remember, has just heard the voice of the Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So he carries this approval, this acceptance, and this sense of being loved into the second test. In some sort of vision, the tester brings Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem, to what some scholars suggest is called the place of trumpeting, the place where the shofar was blown to draw people's attention for important announcements, and tells him, jump off. Prove that the Father really loves you. Make a spectacle of yourself. And then he begins to quote from Psalm 91, which ironically is all about staying hidden, covered, under, and resting. Prove that the Father really loves you by jumping off this cliff. Do something spectacular. The issue here is that the Father hasn't asked Jesus to do this. And so one of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry on earth is that he saw the Father doing, or he maintained his obedience throughout his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus responds again with another quote from Deuteronomy. This time from chapter 6, verse 16. Do not put your Lord to the test. This is tied to a story in Exodus chapter 17 where the people of God are complaining about being thirsty. And they put God to the test by demanding that he prove himself through a miraculous sign of provision. Years before, the Israelites tempted God at Massa by requiring him to provide water to prove his promise that he would take care of them. And on that occasion, God told Moses to speak to the rock and it would bring forth water from it. But confronted by the people, Moses' anger rose, and instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it twice. And, pardon? (laughs) In response, despite Moses' disobedience, God graciously provided water for the people. But Moses was forbidden to enter the promised land. God does not appreciate being tested. The highest and best means don't justify operating outside of God's will. Even if it brings great attention, applause, or affirmation, It was enough in this test for Jesus to remain obedient to the Father whose approval he lived from. He was satisfied on the Father's approval over the applause of men. Test number three, I know I'm going quick, guys, is the test of authority. Let's read in verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Jesus responds, Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. The tester is going for it. He's taking a big swing here. He's going for the fences. He changes his tactic and boldly offers power and authority, but at a huge cost to Jesus. He's appealing to Jesus' destiny. Is Jesus the king of kings? Is his kingdom eternal? Is his kingdom glorious? Yeah, totally. So it's not a matter of if this is going to happen, it's how is this going to happen. So Satan is offering him an alternative version of how his destiny will come to be. He offered Jesus a shortcut at a huge cost. The tester offers him the world at hand, not the world to come, as that isn't even his to give. Nonetheless, he offers Jesus the world. Satan, in Jesus' own words, is the prince of this world. So he's offering him the authority he has. And to be clear, Satan's uh, rights on earth are not unlimited. So otherwise the planet would be in a much greater state of crisis than it is currently. But he's asking for the cost. He's willing to give Jesus this temporary temporal world at the cost of Jesus's worship and allegiance. In the words of Alicia Britt Cole, 
Jesus had come to suffer for sinners. Satan suggested he sinned to avoid suffering. Jesus had come to die for the world. Satan offered him the world without dying. Let me read that again. Jesus had come to suffer for sinners, but Satan suggested he sinned to avoid suffering. Jesus had come to die for the world. Satan offered him the world without dying. Beautiful. Basically, he's saying this. Hey, come take the easy way. Avoid the cross. And all you have to do is compromise the very ethic of the kingdom you've come to establish or the way that God wants things done. Pretty sly. But Jesus is like, no, absolutely no, a defiant no. I will worship no one but my God. I will serve him only, even if it means dying on the cross. I will fulfill my destiny as the suffering servant. I will obey my God. In short, he passed the test. Where every other human before him had failed, Jesus succeeds. As the one retelling the story of Israel and as the true human, Jesus passes the test. Final verse. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Essentially, Jesus won. Guys, Jesus has the power over the forces of evil. 1 John 3, 8 says this, The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus has come to bring life and life to the full, to restore us to right relationship with God and with each other. The life of a disciple is often experienced and lived in the wilderness. But the good news for us is that in Jesus, we have a life that goes beyond our circumstances. We are brought into the loving relationship of the Trinitarian God, where we are seen, loved, and approved of in Christ. And we serve and worship a king whose example of self-giving sacrificial love has set all things to right. So may we learn to live from our identity in Christ, anchored in the word of God with an eternal perspective. So we, have, we as disciples of Jesus put all of our hope in him. We anchor ourselves in our identity in him, that he is with us in the midst of our testing and temptation, and we hold on to the very words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And again, Hebrews. So then, since we have a great high priest who has in, in, entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So then, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The call here, guys, in the simplest terms is learn to live a life of spirit-empowered dependence. Jesus shows us what a life yielded to the spirit looks like. Remember, he's fully God and fully human. He resists the devil and the power of the spirit. We can do the same. So as we close together today, that's pretty quick. Um, we're going to close this communion. And I want us to kind of, the, the phrase that was going through my mind this morning in the pre-service prayer is that God wants to fill up, all, fill up to the fullness every empty place in our hearts and minds and lives. So for some of us, there, is, there are hungers within us that we're trying to satisfy with temporal things. And Jesus wants to come satisfy those hungers with the only thing that will actually satisfy those desires. He wants to give us a life that is really life. There's some of us who are clamoring and longing to hear. There's this vacuous space in our hearts and minds. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? 
And Jesus wants to come and speak to you your true identity until it echoes into every nook and cranny of your heart and of your soul. And at the very end there, Jesus wants to show us and reaffirm to us that his way is the way. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are better than our ways. And so where we're struggling to yield to the way of the kingdom, he wants to come and show us that it's the best way for us. And so let me just pray for us. And then I'll invite you up to, um, to grab the bread or the cracker and then head back to your seat and I'll lead us in communion. Okay? Lord, I just spoke very quickly, said a lot of things. And I just ask that whatever is from you, Lord, would just settle onto our spirits this morning. That picture of, of the snow falling and covering everything we can see in our yards and in our town, I pray that the same thing would happen this morning. Lord, slow down the words that I just spoke and may they fall specifically and, and land in our lives, Lord, where they need to land. Lord, fill up every empty space, every void, everything that we're lacking, Lord. May we find it, may it find its fulfillment in you this morning. Lord, where we are facing temptation, where we are, are drawn into a, a story that is alternate to yours, would you show us and highlight to us, Lord, your truth this morning? So we come and we celebrate the story that Jesus, you came and lived and died and rose again in our, on our behalf that you've made a way for us back into relationship with, with the Father, and that you've sent your Spirit to empower us to live lives that reflect the story to the world around us. So as we come and we take the bread and the cup this morning, would we be realigned and reestablished in this good news, Jesus, that you have done everything necessary to defeat the enemy on our behalf, that you have retold and relived our story, you have succeeded where we could only fail, and may we learn to live from your victory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.